0: How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, Issues, etc.org. It wasn't too long ago that Rick Warren, the legendary pastor of the influential megachurch, Saddleback, decided to do something that, well, his church body, ostensibly, the Southern Baptist Convention, And probably most of the people who had followed him might have found unusual, groundbreaking, maybe even courageous. It wasn't courageous. What Warren did was he decided to ordain several women in his famous congregation. And then when he was stepping down and retiring as the founding pastor, he chose a husband-wife couple as co-pastors to take his place. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's This Week in Pop Christianity, today a sermon preached by Saddleback's new female teaching pastor, Stacy Wood. Pastor Chris Rosebro joins us. He's pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and he's creator and host of the YouTube channel, Fighting for the Faith. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Todd. Were you at all surprised by the AP headline, New Saddleback Pastor, we're talking here about Andy Wood, who would be the husband of our subject today, Stacy Wood. New Saddleback Pastor sees women clergy in church's future.
1: I'm not surprised at this at all. The seeker-driven and the purpose-driven church movements have been a liberalizing force within the visible body of Christ for decades, and it was very clear the direction that uh, Rick Warren wants to take Saddleback and the entire SBC, by the way, when back in 2021 he ordained three women. And the justification that he gave for that was that none of them were teaching pastors. They were pastors, they calls pastors a gift to the church and that they weren't going to be serving as teaching pastors. And you'll note that uh, one of your regular guests, Albert Moeller, he's written extensively on this and he's been working on a document, has put it out in, in I think, like draft or final form in preparation for next year's SBC convention in Louisiana, basically making it clear that the the office of pastor is both an office and a function, and that the SBC does not permit women to hold the pastoral office as teaching pastors or as anything else and and so they're they're actually moving to undo the damage done by Rick Warren. And so one month in to Andy Wood's new reign at Saddleback and he's already pushed the issue to the next level. I think this was strategic. I think it was intentional on his part and this is just following the general trajectory of Saddleback and I think one of the reasons why Andy Wood was chosen to succeed rick warren is is his uh, desire to move the uh, the football farther down the field in the in the vision that rick warren has had
0: give us just a little bit of history there so for some context because warren actually threw down the gauntlet initially by ordaining three women as pastors at saddleback on his way out as that congregation's founding pastor
1: yeah he did and, and like I said, that was intentional. And the only way he was able to get away with it is that none of the three women were teaching pastors. They, all three of them were like, you know, counselors or things like this. They were pastors behind the scenes, so they were pastors in name only. And, and so Rick Warren is one, if you remember his speech from the SBC, convention this past summer, he talked about the gift of pastor, but he does not believe in the office of pastor. So this is him, uh, his parting shot was to kind of move the ball forward, and uh, and Andy Wood, in declaring his wife to be the newest teaching pastor at Saddleback, that's just the next logical step, and strategically so for Saddleback, which I think their their intention is to bring uh, women pastors into the SBC and for the SBC to recognize them.
0: One other question here, it's very common in kind of the more generic megachurch movement, the seeker-sensitive or the purpose-driven movement, to see the wife of the pastor as, even though she may be called a pastor, kind of plays a de facto role as a co-pastor. Why is that?
1: I think if if you were to put the best construction on that— I think that that's the case regardless of whether or not you are in a seeker-driven movement or even if you're a confessional Lutheran. Always and again you'll note that the wives of pastors play vital roles within the life of the congregation. And, and that's, that's normal. And that's, and that's oftentimes a benefit to the church, even within confessional circles. The question then has to be, what is the proper role that, that a pastor's wife should play within the life of the congregation? I'm a pastor. My wife is the pastor's wife. She's the secretary of our church. But then again, we have a small rural congregation. But she plays a vital role that's actually kind of outlined in the scriptures itself. You know, my wife and I now are in our 50s, although she claims that she she's 29 the the math is getting really awkward but you know, we're both in our 50s and uh, all of our kids are grown up our youngest is in she's 25 and our oldest is in his 30s and so there's a role that women play and that's to help the younger women and so and help the younger women the younger married women to be good wives and to, and to be good supports for their husbands so scripture lays out different roles that that women can play and it's a natural thing for a pastor's wife to kind of fill that role and to meet that need that is that is laid out in scripture but in the seeker driven movement always and again the de facto role is is that when you get one seeker driven vision casting leader nowadays it's it's oftentimes you get you get the wife as well and they become a a teaching team and both of them share the stage sometimes at the same time sometimes on different weekends and it's just become a normal part of the seeker-driven movement and i, I think this uh, this egalitarianism on their part is intentional and is the natural fruit if you would of their inattention to the word of god and their unwillingness to preach it in its full context and abide by it other than
0: uh, the wife of andy wood uh, what do we know about stacy wood
1: so stacy wood like you said she's the she's the wife of andy and the both of them come from northern california back in the days when i was doing my audio podcast i would cover sermons i would review them from echo church echo church up in, up near san jose and both of them you know would would preach and teach so i have i've actually in my archives of fighting for the faith i have many sermons that i've reviewed from uh, mostly andy but i also believe i've i've reviewed sermons from stacy before i don't know anything about her education but her husband claims that the reason why she should be a a teaching pastor despite the biblical prohibitions for women holding the pastoral office is because he claims that she has a, a a truly divine holy spirit inspired gift to teach and that even some claim that she is more gifted of a teacher than he is that's so his justification is is that he claims that she has n- a natural uh, holy spirit given gift to teach and so that that's the that most I really know about her
0: what are we going to hear first from her
1: So this is uh, Stacy Woods' inaugural sermon at Saddleback Church, and it's about courage. And I would note that it sounds really a lot. I mean, it has the same cadence and kind of focus that you would get from a TED Talk.
2: Wow, it is so great to be here with you today. I want to give a warm welcome to those of you at our campuses, those of you joining us online and our online Saddleback family. We're so glad that you're with us today. And you are jumping into this third week of a message series that we're in called Uncommon Courage. And we've been looking at how courage is sometimes that ingredient in life that we need to step into what God has for us and sometimes it's that very ingredient that's missing and it keeps us in these cycles of frustration and disappointment with ourselves because we know what we want to do but we just don't quite have the courage to step into it Andy gave us a definition for courage and it's, he said that courage is the ability to make the hard right choice even at great personal cost and so The thing to consider is that we are all coming from different walks of life. And we're all in different seasons of life. But we all have courage moments throughout our week. Moments that we need to lean into courage. And so I was thinking about the singles in the room and our students in the room. And maybe that hard right decision for you is to choose to live a life of purity, a life that has a different moral standard than the rest of the world around you. But that's gonna cost you. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you the feeling of isolation from groups of people that just don't understand why you're choosing to live a way that they're not choosing to live. For some of you, you're really invested in your careers and it's so intense and there's so much coming at you and your hard right choice is to draw some boundaries in your life, some healthy work-life boundaries, but it might cost you. It might cost you your promotion. It might cost you the fact that people will misunderstand you and why you're choosing to live this way. It might cost you.
1: What do you make of that there, Chris? So let's kind of put the big one on the table. She was, I, I, I cannot help but think that she was talking ironically because her entire sermon is about courage and the importance of courage and the need to step out courageously. And she gave an example of uh, of somebody who needs to uh, live a moral life in the face of the, you know the immoral world that we live in. And I would note that there was no courage on her part to disobey God's word. And my question is, was anybody inspired by her talk about courage to go and confront her regarding the fact that just by preaching the sermon and claiming to be a teaching pastor that she was in disobedience to the moral standard laid out in God's Word for the role of women within the Church. So it's very interesting how this particular sermon, there's there's some really big disconnects, but you're going to note what she's not starting off with is a biblical text. So this is a pep talk sermon, if you would. And so far, I could hear this from any speaker. If I were to just go to any business conference or some kind of a conference dedicated to wellness or self-help or making your life better, this is the kind of topic that uh, that that many people find inspiring. But this is not exactly biblical, at least so far. And my immediate question is going to be, well, um, well, Pastor Stacy, what biblical text are you going to bring to bear to talk about the topic of courage because it is a biblical concept and one where if you read the end of uh, the book of Revelation, there are those who end up in the lake of fire who, who scripture describes as cowards, uh, those who are cowardly. So having true biblical courage is something that we should be seeking after and understanding what the biblical definition of that is. But already the very context of this, this whole talk and the person who's delivering it shows not real biblical courage and a following after God's moral law, but absolute rejection of God's Word and the cowardice that comes from capitulating to the culture and its expectations and bringing them into the church. So it doesn't take any courage to ordain women. No, it really doesn't. All it does is it takes a fear of the world rather than the fear of God. And that's what it takes to ordain women.
0: It's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Roseborough. you link to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Folks, Luther Academy is committed to preaching and teaching the biblical truths rediscovered during the Reformation to the ends of the earth. They recently completed conferences in Prague and the Philippines. Learn more about this confessional Lutheran worldwide mission outreach at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. We'll talk more about capitulating to the winds of culture next. a voice in the wilderness of American evangelicalism,
1: you're listening to Issues Etc.
0: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's This Week in Pop Christianity. We're going through a sermon preached by Saddleback's new female teaching pastor, Stacey Wood. Pastor Chris Rosebro is our guest. In about 15 minutes, we'll conclude Issues Etc. Reformation Week talking with Molly Lackey about her path from non-denominationalism to confessional Lutheranism. Chris, I want you to go a little deeper into something you said right before the break, and that this is a capitulation to the winds of culture. And that even explains what we know about the ordination of women generally not just at saddleback right
1: yes it does so you'll note that the 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 united states is is a country that talks about you know liberty and equality and there's a, a kind of a latent egalitarianism within the United States and we want people to not have restraints put on them and for them to be able to do whatever it is that they they really desire to want to do but you'll note that's kind of unbounded And so the culture itself is repulsed by the idea that the church would put limitations on women and see that as part of their overarching narrative about the evil biblical patriarchy, as if somehow, you know, the patriarchy exists for the purpose of oppressing women. And so the culture is out there pushing hard on these things and saddled back from its inception in fact, even before it came into existence, has always existed for the purpose of giving the unchurched, the unbeliever, what it is that they want in a so-called church service. If you uh, read the Purpose Driven Church book, Rick Warren makes a very, very long case about how he went door to door and looking specifically for people who are not Christians and asking them why they didn't want to come to church. And then he took their list of reasons why they didn't want to come to church church and he created a church that didn't have those reasons. So they didn't like hymns, so he got a praise band. They didn't like reading long amounts of scripture, so he got rid of reading long amounts of scripture. They wanted sermons based upon topics that were relevant to solving the their problems and challenges of living in suburban Southern California. And so he gave them sermons that would meet their challenges for living in suburban California. So from the very beginning, Saddleback has existed to give the unbelievers a exactly what they want and call it church. And so this next step is just the next logical step. The culture, the pagan world wants women pastors, and Saddleback is going to give that to them. What's next from Stacy Wood? So now Stacy Wood is going to reference, not read, reference from the book of Joshua chapter 3, and she's going to use this as her primary text for explaining a time when she thinks in Scripture, courage was called for. But we're going to note something. She's going to engage in a Bible-twisting technique called eisegesis. She's going to read something into this text that isn't there.
2: So the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of Joshua in the Bible, and there have been so many moments where courage was needed in this story. Like, for example, Joshua is taking over leadership for this legendary leader, Moses, and that's a call for courage. And then last week, we talked about how the priest had to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and walk straight out in the Jordan River at flood stage, and that was a call for courage. And then the Israelites are all gonna to have to cross over into the promised land and they've got war in front of them and there's enemies and obstacles. And that's a call for courage. So many calls for people to step out into courage. So today, we're gonna pick up that story again. And those priests are standing in the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They have been standing there all week long. We left them there last weekend and they are tired of standing in the same place. So we are gonna get them out of the Jordan today. So in case you have missed the last couple of weeks, let me just give you a quick recap the, the um, Israelites have been wandering around in the desert for like 40 years. And it, they have finally reached that moment in time where they are gonna cross over into the promised land. But in order to get there, there is this huge obstacle in front of them. They've got this Jordan River and there is no boat and there are no bridges and it is at flood stage. And so they've gotta figure out how are we gonna get from here to there? So of course, Joshua goes to God and he says, okay, God, uh, what's the plan? And God says, okay, here's the plan. I want you to have the priest pick up the Ark of the Covenant and they're just gonna walk straight out into the river. And Joshua's like, "Um, that river? And God's like, yeah, that river. He's like, the one that's at flood stage right now? Yeah, that's, that's the one, Joshua. And it sounds so crazy. Because you guys, we know the end of the story. We know that God is gonna perform this miracle and that the the water is gonna stop flowing and that they're gonna get through on dry ground and it's gonna be one of the coolest miracles in all of the Old Testament. But they don't know that in this moment. They just got 2 million people standing on one side of this rushing river and God says, just start walking. And that feels crazy. Don't you know that there were some people in the crowd that were just kind of like, is there a... Option B, like, I would be very interested in learning more about that one.
0: Now, Chris, I got to say, it's been a little while since I revisited, maybe a couple months since I, for a different interview, looked at that particular
1: account. And I don't remember a lot of those verses in there. No. And in fact, I'm not even sure which Bible she was reading, but she sure was adding a whole lot of details to the story that are clearly not there. This whole idea where God says, I want you to walk straight out into the Jordan, and, and Joshua says, You mean that river right there? Yeah, that one. I want you I want you to have the priestess, walk straight out. But it's in in flood stage, Lord. That that does not exist in this text at all. In instead, in Joshua chapter 3, it says these words, starting at verse 7: Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of Yahweh your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail... Drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all of the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve of the men of the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all of the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall. Stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout all of the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. Nothing there about, you know, oh, this is going to take courage. And you'll note that the priests didn't have to go far. As soon as their soles of their feet touched the water, the waters began to rise up in a heap, and they were fine. There was nothing here that God was somehow testing their courage where they had trepidation regarding what God had commanded. Instead, what God was saying is is that this was going to be a sign for you that god was going to you know basically give them the ability to conquer all the tribes that were living in canaan at that time and it was it was all offered by god as a gift and he acted exactly on the promises that he gave and there isn't even a hint or a whiff of people who were nervous about this or concerned or any of the dialogue that Stephanie here has added to this text it's just not there and one has to wonder if that's the reason why she didn't read out the text in context because she couldn't have said the things that she said had she actually just opened up the biblical text and read it out so she started with
0: what she wanted to say which yeah. is, God wants you to show courage. He's going to give you an opportunity. I'm sure that's what's coming next. He's going to give you an opportunity to step out in courage. And you need to do it. She started with that concept, went and found a story that plausibly, if no one had read it for themselves, could be twisted that direction and did that twisting
1: right in front yeah, that's- of people. That's correct, and you'll note then, that uh, in the AP story that came out earlier this week, Andy Wood, for his justification for his wife being a teaching pastor at Saddleback, says that she has a true teaching gift from God. And I would note that in order to be a pastor in Christ's church, Even if women were permitted and they're not, one has to study and show yourself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, but who can rightly handle the word of truth. And so right out of the gate, the very first sermon delivered by Saddleback's new teaching pastor, who is a female, the very first biblical text she touches, she twists it. That shows that she is not qualified on any level whatsoever to be teaching or preaching to Christ's sheep. She needs to sit down and let somebody who has a true teaching gift exegete the word and call people to repentance and faith in Christ.
0: We've got uh, one more from Stacey Wood.
1: Yep, so uh, let's let her finish her point. So you know she's added to the text. Now what she's added to the text, she's now going to turn into one of the major points for her sermon.
2: So the priest, they pick up this Ark of the Covenant and they go first and they just start walking. And I want you to get this image in your head with me, what this scene would have been like as it unfolds. Just imagine that you're one of those 2 million people standing on this side of the Jordan and you're just watching these priests walk out and nothing is changing. Like they're just walking and they're getting closer and closer to the edge of the Jordan and, and nothing has changed. And you know in their hearts, they're saying, okay, let's have faith. He's done it before, God can do it again. But they're they're at a crisis moment. They're at that moment that if God doesn't come through, that all will be lost. But you know what happens is as soon as they step foot into the Jordan, God comes through and the water stops. Flowing, And can you imagine being there on that shore and like realizing what just happened and, and the shouts of praise that must have happened and say, oh my gosh, he did it, God did it, he did it again. The water stopped flowing, we're going across on dry ground. Can you believe that we are a part of this moment? God was faithful. And I think it's, it's so amazing that this unstoppable force of the Jordan River stood still in the presence of the Almighty. It's a good reminder for us today, friends, that there is no force that is coming against you in your life right now that is more powerful than the authority of the Most High. He is able, He is good, He is faithful. So in Joshua 3.17, it says, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground.
0: All right, Chris. Again, she's kind of adding to the text. I'm pretty sure there's a passage near the end of the Bible about not doing that. Because mm-hmm. you will yeah. have all of the woes added to you if you yep. do such a thing.
1: Yeah, you're right. In the book of Revelation, it, it clearly says that anybody adds to the book of this prophecy. I really believe in Revelation. It is talking about the entirety of the Bible. God knew full well that Revelation was going to be the last book of Scripture. And that if you add to it, God is going to add to you the, the plagues that are listed there in the book of Revelation. She has added an entire section to this account that is just not there. And although her point is is that God is faithful, what she failed to to mention is that God did exactly what he said he was going to do, and the people who took up the ark and walked into the Jordan They had complete faith because they knew exactly what was going to happen. She made it sound like they were walking towards the Jordan wondering, well, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? But they knew exactly what was going to happen because earlier in the chapter, what I just read out, Joshua said, here's what God's going to do. And what he does is a sign to you to assure you that your conquest of Canaan will actually take place and that he will drive out those other tribes. And so she skipped all of that, inserted a whole narrative into the text that isn't there. And yeah, at the end, everyone clapped their hands and said, God is faithful. Amen, he is. But she isn't. God truly is faithful. But the one thing we've learned about Stacy Wood from just the first few minutes of her first sermon at Saddleback is that she is not. She is not faithful. She has taken the word of God, cast it behind her back, and disobeyed it egregiously. And on top of it, now she's added entire sections to God's word, showing that she has no fear of the curses that God has invoked, that he has the right to put on those who add to his word, yet she has added to it.
0: This message that there's no unstoppable force, that God, that is more powerful than God, he gets applause at Saddleback. Is that
1: The real message of God's faithfulness, is that the gospel? (laughs) No, in fact, I would note that that actually would probably fall into the category of scary things about God, and and more like along the lines of God's law, you know, because you'll note that when God talks this way about Himself, that nobody can undo His plans. I think of the Psalm where He says, "Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against God and His Anointed One, against His Messiah?" But God in heaven laughs at those. So when we when we look at th- we studied this concept out in Scripture about. God. God. This is one that kind of invokes his law, invokes his wrath, and invokes things that should scare us and frighten us about God. Now, it's true that God promises to care for us, but that's not exactly the point that she's making. She's just talking about how God is this immovable force and nobody's stronger than him. Indeed, that is true, which means that when he acts in judgment, no one is going to be able to say, what is it that you have judged? What have you done here, God? No one has that authority or power to call him into question when he does that.
0: Pastor Chris Rosebrough is pastor of Consfinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. He's creator and host of the YouTube channel Fighting for the Faith. Find out more about Fighting for the Faith at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Chris, thank you. Thank you, Todd. When we return, it's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. We're going to conclude our series, Paths to Lutheranism, talking with Molly Lackey, author of Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, about her journey from non-denominationalism. What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, For Such a Time As This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, The free online Issues Etc. Journal, IssuesETC.org.
1: Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Marcourt and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: When pastors talk about us, they say ad crucem. When laity mention us, they say ad crucem. When telemarketers call us, they say RuCam. Better a Luther rose by any name will smell as sweet. Ad Crucem is the place to go for greeting cards and artwork, jewelry and ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners, and much more. Visit AdCruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology.